Let's start reading in Matthew chapter 3. And we'll start in verse 16 so that we get the context again. Hear now the word of the Lord. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, we come now to this time of looking to your word. Uh, We sit at your feet, as it were, as little children who are hungry. We're hungry to hear from you. We're hungry to learn from Christ. We're hungry for righteousness. And we ask that you'd feed us now. and, And that you would increase our hunger. Show us Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. This morning we will finish looking at the temptation of Christ, a scene Matthew has set before us depicting Christ as a king who has been sent to vanquish another king, showing that Christ alone is the true one. He has demonstrated, Matthew has, that Christ is the true Son of God. Not by miracle, not by angelic service, but by His simple obedience. A true Son obeys His Father. The delight of the heart of Christ is to do the will of God. No one will consistently do the will of God until God's will is His joy and delight. You won't
won't serve God faithfully until your complete happiness is to delight the Father. You see, temptation is a competition of delights. Every time you and I are tempted, we are challenged to proclaim whether Christ is our delight or some putrid joy of the earth is. Will you choose a lesser delight or will Christ be your delight? Hence, John Owen would say, That temptation is like a knife which cuts either the meat of a man or his throat. It may be his food, he said, or his poison, his exercise or his destruction. And so we are a people, we understand that we are filled with evil desire. It is a desire that we are constantly fighting, that we desire to put to death. And we want to know how. How do we do that on a regular basis? How do I overcome my temptation? In the Middle Ages, there was a man by the name of Benedict of Nursia. Benedict's order, he established a monastic order that would become the most well-known throughout Roman Catholicism. Benedict fled into the wilderness hoping to achieve, hoping that being away from society, being out of the metropolitan area as it were, being out of the world would free him from the temptations of the world. Unfortunately for Benedict, there was a thought that kept plaguing him. He compared it to a a bird, a black bird that would repeatedly visit him and, and cause him trouble. And this black bird, this thought that continued to plague him was the thought of a woman. Oh, how they do that. One day, Benedict vanquished his enemy. When the black bird visited him, he crossed himself, threw off his robes, and jumped headlong into a briar patch and rolled in the briar so that they would tear his flesh. And he said that by the tearing of his flesh, his soul was healed. Wickedness is in your soul. It lies there, sometimes dormant, but ever and always seeking to make its appearance and put you to death. You won't kill it by rolling in a briar patch naked. You will only have victory over your inclination to do evil when, through faith in Christ Jesus, 
empowered by His Holy Spirit who indwells the believer. Listen, you come to love Christ more than any other pleasure of this earth. So the battle against temptation is a spiritual one which requires a spiritual vigor, not a physical one, so that Paul could say that exercise has some good, but spiritual discipline has eternal good. Overcoming temptation requires a certain knowledge which, empowered by the Spirit of God, becomes your life and breath. We see the contrast between the belief of Satan and the knowledge of Christ Jesus in this passage as we look at the third and the final temptation this morning. We see the contrast between the belief of Satan, a son of God in the angelic sense, and the knowledge of Christ, the son of God, in this final temptation. Notice, first of all, that Satan is a deceived deceiver. Remember that in in 1 Timothy. Paul speaks there to Timothy and he reminds them that there are those who are deceived and are being deceived. Satan is the chief one who is deceived and is being deceived. We are reminded in verses 8 to 9 that the ultimate battle with Satan is one of truth. What is reality? What is real? He wants you to believe that it is everything opposed to God. That in your unregenerate and and in your unregenerate state, you want to agree with Him. Notice verses 8 and 9 of chapter 4. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, an exceedingly high peak. And showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And Satan said to Jesus, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Satan here demonstrates his first deception. Perhaps. He believes that he possesses the kingdoms of the earth. Now, we know that Satan does possess a certain authority in the earth, don't we? We can appeal to passages like Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 2. There Paul wrote, And you were dead, verse 1, in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, in the sons of disobedience. In Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, we also read, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, 
against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. So we understand from passages like this that Satan does indeed have a certain authority. But we do not read in these passages that Satan owns any part of the earth. In fact, any authority that he has is a derived authority. You and I know that God owns it all. That Christ, according to Colossians chapter 1, has the complete preeminence. All things have been created by Him and in Him and for Him so that He might have the preeminence over all things. Christ has delegated nothing to Satan. But Satan wants you to believe that he has a certain authority. He wants you to believe that he possesses the kingdoms of earth. He wants you to believe that these things are under his direction and that he is disposing of them for his ends. He wants you to believe that. In the middle 60s through the early 70s, the United States fought a battle in a little place called Vietnam. And a significant part of that battle for the United States in Vietnam was a battle of knowledge. Our aircraft flew many, many missions Not to drop bombs, but leaflets. In the Vietnam campaign, the United States Air Force dropped half a billion leaflets containing information for the northern communists to convince the people to rise up against their own government, to tell them that they were being squelched that their power was being put down, that if they would only submit to the southern forces, they would have the ultimate victory. We also dropped radios so that they could listen to the radio broadcast. You see, it was a war of information. And we are in a war of information. Satan wants you to believe certain things. There is nothing so anemic, so weak, as a Christian who thinks he's walking through a defeated world and gives it up for nothing. It's all over. The battle's done. Armageddon's coming. Let's just play the flute on the deck of the Titanic. But then we stop. And we remember... That Christ Jesus possesses heaven and earth. All authority has been given to Him. Will He throw it away? Is He ruling His kingdom flippantly? You must understand that Satan wants you to think the battle is lost. That all you see is His. It's a lie. 
Satan also believed that these kingdoms have glory. Notice he said that he would give to Christ all these kingdoms and their glory. When we read about glory in the Scriptures, that glory, glory always refers to the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Read John's Gospel. Twenty-five times John uses the word glory in his Gospel, always referring to Christ Jesus. The Scriptures always attribute glory to God alone. Satan wants you to believe that in the earth there is a godlike glory. Men will sell their souls to own a piece of this glory. Think about the Tower of Babylon. Do you remember the whole motivation for Nimrod leading this people into the valley of Shinar? What would they do there? Here, we will make a name for ourselves. We can put a tower into the heavens, raid the place of Yahweh, bring it down, and everybody will know us. And so we track how many people have liked my post. How many friends have messaged me this week to check on me? How many people know me? How many people identify my gifts? I want to be the one serving out front, leading the banner so people will look at me. I want to be the big fish in the little pond. All Satan wants is for you to want it. Once you want it, you're gone. He makes the suggestion. The desire is within you already. And unless you are watching, studying, he will have you. I've wondered from time to time why in James chapter 1 verses 9 to 11, James seems to spend a little bit more time there chastising the rich than he does the poor. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. One little clause. And then verse 10 and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Why does he spend more time talking about the rich man? Is a rich man somehow more corrupt than the poor man? No. Here's why, I think. Because nobody ever said, man, if I had less money, I'd be better off. The rich man and the poor man both think that if they had more money, they'd be better. And more money requires more fame. I want people to know me and be proud of it. 
Satan wants you to believe that the kingdoms of the earth have a certain glory. And once you want that glory, he has you. Satan believes that he is worthy of worship. He is no humble son of God. Notice that he said there in verse 9 of chapter 4 of Matthew, If you will fall down and worship me, I will give these things to you. When Satan says there, if falling down, you will worship me, he uses the aorist tense. That simply means that it is a one-time action. You see, he's not asking Christ just to fall down and to keep doing that. He's not asking Christ to go on falling down and worshiping him. What he's asking Christ to do is just one, t- one time. Just one time. Fall down. Fall down. And worship me. For how many does a one-time act become a lifetime of pain? David, sitting on the parapet of his tower, perhaps thought, one night, one night, and one night with Bathsheba led to a latter lifetime of pain for David. How many of us think, One dose, one moment, one, I'll just give in to this this little temptation one time, and that's it. One dose of heroin, you're gone. Satan wants you to think that he is worthy of worship, and if you indulge that desire one time, one time you'll be satisfied. Friends, one indulgence of the flesh, the flesh is never satisfied. It will never be satisfied. There is only one satisfaction that we can have in this life. It is when we hunger after righteousness. You and I know that only God is worthy of our worship. Christ also demonstrated that he knew this as well in his response to Satan. We see this in verses 10 to 11, that Christ is the one with true authority and we must hear him. I want to show you here that there are two things that Christ knew and there is one thing that you must know. Satan had certain beliefs. Christ has knowledge. Christ is not deceived, and neither will he deceive. First, Jesus knew that he had true authority. Notice in verse 10 what he said. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. He commanded Satan to depart. This is it. He he knows that he has authority. He has endured this two times now. 
all of Satan's finagling and negotiating have fallen. And finally, we're at the end and Jesus commanded him to be gone. And now the one who has true authority is revealed and it isn't Satan. It's Christ. And notice in verse 11. Then the devil left him. There's no answering back. No response. Simple obedience. Now, notice that uh, this, is the, it, this is the end of Satan's explicit activity in the gospel. He will get some honorable mentions. In chapter 13, we will find that Satan is the one who has sowed seed in the Lord's garden. In chapter 26, Christ will talk about the future of Satan and his judgment. And as you go through the epistles, Satan is somewhat quiet, receiving only a, an infrequent mention there. We will find Satan only mentioned again in the book of Revelation, where Christ will summon him to come back for a certain event, his own judgment. We learn from this that you too can overcome. Regardless of what it is, regardless of what the temptation that you are struggling with, you too can overcome. Not because there's any certain power in you. Not because you're good enough and smart enough and people like you. But because when you come to Christ in a sincere faith, He gives you power in the Holy Spirit. Not to command Satan. He has commanded Him for you. In fact, Jude reminds us in his little epistle that Michael the archangel didn't even rebuke the devil. What he empowers you to do is to resist as you are feasting on his word day to day. He enables you to understand how to apply it in the right situation. The work of the Holy Spirit is to give you wisdom and strength to resist Christ knew that he had the true authority. He demonstrated that true authority. And you now, in Christ, are seated in the heavenly places with him. And when you resist the devil, he commands him for you. Jesus also knew that he must reverence God alone. Notice again verse 10. The Lord's response. Be gone, Satan, for or because it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Here Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. If you're tracking, he quoted chapter 8, verse 3, Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, and Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 13. He's hovering in and around this portion of the book of Deuteronomy. I want you to turn over there, if you would please, to Deuteronomy chapter 7. When you get to the book of Deuteronomy, what you're reading are Moses' last words. He knew that he 
could not go into the land. But God had commissioned him as a prophet to Israel. And in these sermons of Moses, there are four of three of them in the book. Moses is telling the people what they need to know before they go into that land. And in chapter 6, he's telling the people that God has commanded them to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. There are two things. Two things that could pull them away from this single-minded devotion to Christ. Look with me in chapter 7, verse 1. When the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away the many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord gives them over to you, and you defeat them, and you live in victory that He has given you, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them, and show no mercy to them, You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons. For they would turn away your sons from following me to serve other gods. The first, the first temptation is that they would be tempted to be like the world, to be a worldly people. The second temptation, chapter 8. Verse 11. Take care, lest you forget the Lord, your God, by not keeping His commandments and His rules and His statutes which I command you today. Listen, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply, and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. The first temptation is that the foreign people, the people of the world, would draw them away through a lack of discipline. The second temptation is that they would become so full on the blessings that God had given them that their hearts became puffed up and said, look what our hands have done. And they forgot the Lord. Christ, as the true Son of God, in our passage in Matthew chapter 4, shows that He is not like Israel, not like the false son, not like the son who went into the land instead of driving out the people as we read in Judges, 
the first few chapters of Judges, who did what was right in their own eyes. Christ is the true Son. The one who has a single-minded focus on doing the will of His Father. And as your elder brother shows you how to live before the Lord your God, who is His Father and your Father. Psalm 19, verses 1-3. through Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed, blessed are those who keep His testimonies, who seek Him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in His ways. You see, this is a picture of Christ The one whose whole heart, whose whole joy, whose whole devotion was to doing the will of the Father. Who is the one foretold in Isaiah chapter 11 upon whom the Spirit would come who would have wisdom and understanding and gentleness. Christ is the true Son of God. Our elder brother who shows us how to live before The Lord our God. Two things that Jesus knew. He had the true authority. His kingdom had come. And that he must reverence God alone. And he did so with complete delight. One thing that you must know. You must know. That Jesus is God's greater prophet. Jesus knew that his purpose required him to undergo the miseries of this life and the cursed death on the cross prior to ascending to the right hand of God the Father where He came in His glory. He was supported by His divine nature and sustained by the Holy Spirit so that He could not fail to accomplish this calling. He is the true prophet. He is the true high priest. And He is the true King. He knew that we must listen to Him. And this fact that we must listen to Him is very simply demonstrated in this final vignette. Notice verse 11. Then, in obedience, the devil left him. Behold, angels came and were ministering to him. I want you to hold your finger here and turn with me to one other place. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. I believe that this last picture is true and it is demonstrating a parallel to the life of the prophet Elijah. The life of a prophet whose ministry also was to oppose a king, King Ahab. 
Read with me in 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 2 through 6. And the word of the Lord came to him, that is to Elijah, Depart from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Kerit, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook Kerit, that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. You see, by a supernatural power, God commanded his ravens to minister to Elijah there during the course of the famine. He fed his prophet, his chosen one. And in the end, both in the life of Elijah and here in the life of Christ, God sustained his chosen servants. Jesus is not following in the footsteps of Elijah. Elijah was walking in the footsteps of the one to come. And we see here that as, this, as the angels come to minister to Jesus, that word there, diakonoi, um, they are ministering to Christ. The same word we use, uh, get deacon from. They are ministering to his physical needs. We see that Jesus' ministry of the word will be greater than Elijah's. Just as angels are greater than ravens. Far more important then than seeing what Jesus will do in the pages that are to come. Listen. Far more important than seeing what Jesus will do is hearing what He will say. You can be astonished at His miracles. But if you do not listen to what He says, if you do not receive Him as a prophet, a prophet even greater than Moses and even greater than Elijah, you will have missed the whole point. Jesus knew His mission, and you must too. And His mission was to preach salvation to those who would listen. And so the question for you this morning, in whom will you put your trust? Will you put your trust in the world, in the flesh, in the devil? Will you continue pursuing the glory of the earth? C.S. Lewis um, compared us to children who preferred to play with mud pies rather than spend a day down at the beach? Will you put more energy into making a name for yourself or into clothing your mind in the knowledge of Christ? Today is a day of decision. Choose Christ. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we bless your holy name.
We thank you that you sent to the earth the champion, the Lord Jesus Christ, who with no struggle put the devil to flight. And we ask that you would strengthen us by your Holy Spirit, all of us who walk in true faith in the Lord Jesus, so that we with equal strength and equal vigor would put the devil to flight, not because we have some sort of presumptive authority, but because we walk in the authority of Christ Jesus. We, being seated with Him, have overcome the evil one. Give us a will to resist, Father, and strength by Your Holy Spirit. We pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.